Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, this is Annie for Showreel, our little look at Australian film industry and other types of moving images including TV. (laughs) And uh, today I've got uh, a little bit of a treat. I had a chat with uh, a director called Olivia Peniston-Bird. Now, she's got this film out called Graceful Girls. Now, Graceful Girls is about a pretty interesting subject or or not, depending on how you look at it. It's about calisthenics, and you may or may not know anything about it, but you, after this interview, you'll know much more about it. So it's a documentary, and it uh, wowed the uh, audience at MIF, Melbourne International Film Festival this year, winning the People's Choice. So it's got legs, I'll tell you what, it's got legs, and it is actually being shown exclusively at uh, NOVA at the moment, Two packed audiences, and then it's going to go on the road to the country. So, if you get a chance, you should get go down there and uh, have a look and uh, decide for yourself. But before you do, you're going to get a chance to hear about why Olivia did what she did and her past background and all that sort of stuff, all that juicy stuff that you get when you listen to showreel. So. 18 years in a row they won the overall aggregate for the the leading club in Australia. When Diane took over the seniors, it was as if a bolt of lightning had hit calisthenics. Her creative, explosive work really did transform calisthenics at the time. No one really got close to them. They were at the top of the tree. They had won everything that could be won year in, year out. But they deserved to win it. They were the best. We're talking about Graceful Girls. Now, it is billed as your first a full-length documentary, but it's certainly not your first skirmish in filmmaking. Can you give us a bit of background? I actually began my career in film, you know, shortly after studying uni. Uh, I was at RMIT, I did a, a BA in media, and I pretty much started as a runner. You know, a lot of people go to film school these days, but when it comes to the crunch, you know, qualifications don't necessarily count, you know, don't... don't automatically well, they mean nothing, really, unless you actually do no. it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. 
and you know the traditional route is that you kind of start as a runner and, and work out which department you're interested in and work your way up, which is what I did. And I worked at Crawford Productions for a little bit on a TV show, and then um, I went overseas. I had a British passport and I was keen to live in in London, so um, I ended up working in the assistant director department on on British feature films, which I really enjoyed, and it gave me a really good solid uh, sort of insight into you know the the production of of feature films. And you also went to other countries as well. I mean, I was quite interested to know that you went to the Dominican Republic and Cuba. What was yeah. that about? <laughs> I did. I know. I was very lucky to work on a, a film by Sally Potter, who you might remember she did um, a beautiful film called Orlando many yeah. years ago um, with Tilda Swinton, amongst other films. And I worked on a film that she um, uh, made called uh, Yes. And we shot partly in London, partly in Cuba, and partly because one of our uh, American leads was American, we had to shoot her scenes in Dominican Republic because she couldn't get a visa to Cuba at the time. So being based in London was wonderful in that regard because I got to shoot in Spain and you know Eastern Europe. And it's not such a big deal when the, when you're in you know London to, to these are locations that you know producers can can consider where, compared with in Australia where we've we've got a different set of uh, locations available to us. What about the Croatian and Bosnian experience? What were you shooting there? I was actually shooting a film starring Peter Mullen, um, Scottish actor and turned director, um, and that was a first-time feature director. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that production. It was many years ago now. But again, the, the core of the story was shot in London, but it did have a character who was based out uh, in Bosnia at the time. So I was actually lucky enough to go out there and shoot some of the scenes uh, that were required. And then when you came back to Australia, you uh, made a couple of shorts, didn't you? That's right. So basically having been in the UK for a, a number of years and working on these fantastic feature films, but as an assistant director, which sounds like you're going to eventually blossom and become a director, but it's actually quite different to directing AD, as we call it. You know, someone made the comparison once. It's almost like being a stage manager to theatre, being an AD to, uh, on a feature film. You're, you're coordinating all the toings and froings of the, the set, getting the actors into their costumes to and from, you know, planning the schedule for the next day, special effects, you know. That is kind yeah. of like uh, you go to film school and then you get the confidence by going into the real world and as a runner. So, I mean, you're doing these steps of confidence, aren't you? Yeah, that's a really good way of describing it, exactly. That's exactly it. And, you know, by the, by the time I, I'd done several years in that role, I really did have that confidence. I also realised if I was ever going to become a director, I needed to really start creating my own work. You know, that's the only way you can be a director is if you're actually producing, even if it's, you know, short films, which is where most people start. So when I returned to Melbourne um, to live, I decided not to continue with the ADing anymore and to basically start again as a director, which meant working on much smaller projects, trying to build my showreel, doing short films, you know, I got a film into Tropfest and doing, you know, whatever little mini docos or mini dramas I could just to get some experience as a director. Um, and I did that for several years. Being a director is about being able to convince or persuade a whole range of different sorts of people that you've got the goods, right? That is true. That is true because without a, a team, you know, you can't really, you can't create. I mean, you can, technology has changed to a degree, but you know, you, you need collaborators, and a director has to find collaborators. And you're right. The, the only way you can do that is by convincing people you have a great script, a great concept, you've got the ability to create something to bring other people together to fulfil 
decision. So it is, it's a whole new skill and it's, you know, and it, it's an exciting role in a, because it combines the, the creative and, you know, all these other aspects of filmmaking, you know, understanding what's achievable and, and um, also uh, finding the, the sort of teams that, that are going to really complement your own skill sets. And you did. You won a prize, didn't you? Well, I did a short film called Stony Point that was selected by uh, Melbourne International Film Festival and screened, and I was uh, invited to participate in their Accelerator program. And that was a, a few years ago now, but that was a really crucial point in my career because doing a, a, the Accelerator program, which is kind of a four-day intensive during the festival, you know, with fantastic uh, guest speakers and industry gurus, I really started thinking about how I could and would make the transition from being a short filmmaker into a feature film director, because obviously making a short film is wonderful and exciting, but most people have a a grand plan of creating something bigger and better, and after having done that intensive program, that's when I started thinking about story ideas and what sort of feature films that I want to make. I think she's a little apprehensive herself about investing too much time in it, and being really disappointed if she gets yet another second. So should you be thinking of something more stable there? Yeah. Don't take a chance on something that's not that important. I think the more you invest, the more you stand to lose if it doesn't succeed. So I think she's safeguarding herself a little emotionally. No, no, that's looking good. I don't particularly like you letting go of skirting that arabesque, but that's only my, that's only me. I'd be quite happy not to let go from a risk perspective even. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did go in feeling a little bit less prepared than I would have liked. Probably even more so. Her fitness didn't seem quite what it should have been. Oh, another one. Just all her reminders of things that um, she could have been doing a little better. There seemed to be too many to remember, plus give an emotional performance all at once. Oh, honey. Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> all right, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, thanks for coming. Bye. Bye. She really wants to win this for her coach as much as herself. You're on Showreel with Annie, and that's a little snippet from Graceful Girls. You'll hear more about what, where this fits in, this tension, this mounting tension that is, uh, surrounds the fourth attempt by a woman called Brianna t- uh, attempting to win the most graceful girl competition uh, in the uh, tight little world of calisthenics, which is an extraordinary uh, Australian creation, which we'll hear from, uh, explained by Olivia Peniston-Bird, who's the director. This is her first full-length documentary film as director. In terms of uh, creating a feature and a documentary and actually establishing yourself as a a credible director, obviously, in a way, it's almost uh, a commercial a proposition to come up with a story that uh, a stake out a territory that other people haven't covered, and definitely mm. nobody has covered calisthenics. How did <laughs> how did you get that story? Yeah, well, it it really was a bit of a, a chance uh, chance moment where I my, my three year old daughter at the time we were looking for an activity for her and we looked at ballet and. Uh, Finding activities for three-year-olds is quite difficult and they're not often very structured. Ballet didn't seem right and we thought about gymnastics but 
my daughter was quite musical, and I thought, mm, not quite sure. And my, it was my mum who actually said, what about calisthenics? And I actually had to Google it because I, I knew the word. My, my sister had done calisthenics a long time ago. I've still got a picture of her dressed up as a little mouse. Um, but I never did it, and I had to Google it because I just hadn't heard anyone mention it for so many years. And when I looked it up, it said it was a mix of ballet, theatre, and gymnastics. And I thought, that's a really interesting mix. So we, I just literally um, found my, a local club um, online and gave them a buzz. Um, and they said we could come along and do a trial class. And what I didn't realise when I rang my local club was that this club, Regents, as it turned out, ah. used to be the number one club in Australia. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes, and hence the, the journey of Graceful Girls began. Yeah, well, and, and, and of course we want people to go and look at this film and they'll understand why I went, oh, because you just went into a minefield of historical uh, fantasticness when you joined that club. Exactly. I mean, like yourself, I didn't know anything about calisthenics and sitting watching my daughter during her classes, I, I started chatting with the other mums predominantly who, who told me, you know, that some people were travelling from Geelong or down, um, you know, from uh, Gippsland to come to these classes in this church hall in Kew East. And I just couldn't get my head around it. I mean, you know, why would anyone travel needlessly to attend a local, you know, activity? Um, and what it became apparent after a, a short while was that this club had an incredible history and the coaches that were and are some of the best in Australia. Um, but, yeah, there was controversy that had surrounded this club. And what they had told me is that the club, you know, had been number one for many, many years and then it closed unexpectedly. And at that point, the, the club and the community were just mortified and, you know, incredibly upset that their local club that, you know, for some families had, you know, several generations had been involved in this club. And then it, without really any real explanation, it was closed. And I was really interested in the, just that whole power and commitment to a club and the community of a club. And added to that, it was such so interesting in that this is a female-dominated sport um, and, you know, this is a a whole other world that I had never heard of before. There's a couple of very interesting elements in this. One, it's a sport, but it's like a hybrid piece. Or it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid, a strange little hybrid that's been yeah. that only exists in Australia. And I actually think, having done some reading, that it's a little bit like, uh, which you don't follow up in the film because you wouldn't have been able to, but it's this business about the plan air sort of exercise uh, stuff that they yep. used to do in Germany pre the Second World War, really. Uh, you know, the calisthenics. That's right. or, or maybe even earlier. That's right. I mean, exactly. Calisthenics does originate from the term calisthenic exercises, um, and they never used to be um, done on a stage with costumes. That's something that has originated and developed in Australia and only in Australia. Um, but it certainly does have, you know, European roots. Um, and even, as I understand it, early in the early 1900s, uh, calisthenics was done in all Victorian primary schools for a period, again, as exercises, you know, in unison, um, maybe with some music playing, but just as a, a way of stretching and, you know, keeping, uh, keeping fit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has become a, a very quirky, you know, unique to Australia art form. So yeah, but they, they, it is called a sport. But um, I think one of our, our characters kind of says, Diane, the, the matriarch of the club, kind of says she doesn't think it's a sport. Um, so it's a little bit of a bone of contention. But as I understood it, it, it you know, to, to most of us, it looks like dance. Yeah, um, that's I guess right. The, the competitive aspects of it um, and the athletic aspects of it, I guess, kind of is what 
and also I believe one of the, the, the crucial reason why it, it did become uh, categorised as a sport was for funding reasons because sports, you know, if yeah. you're a sports registered <laughs> sport, you can actually apply for funding and as you can imagine, calisthenics probably wanted to benefit from that. Oh, which is very interesting, isn't it, as a uh, point mm. of distinction in Australia. Uh, also, of course, that it's uh, female-dominated. And yes. there's so many access points for people to be involved. Well, that's the thing. And I must say, you know, my family, we didn't stick with calisthenics. We did it a couple of years. It wasn't something that we ended up continuing on with. But I did really like the idea that the, the cross-generational involvement, you know, in contrast when we went on to try ballet and our gymnastics, Parents aren't really welcome to watch, you know, parents, you get the impression parents pretty much should stay out of the way. Whereas with calisthenics, not only were they welcome, they were kind of expected to get involved and the the grandmothers and mothers were heavily involved in creating all the costumes. So it was that little bit of a buzz the whole time, you know, there's actually like a sense of community to these clubs, which I thought was really lovely. Yeah, yeah. And I'll have to say that um, there's a class aspect to this although that's not really mm. followed up. I mean, in the sense that dance, ballet and uh, gymnastics are seen to be high art, while calisthenics is probably considered to be more working class and didn't require so much money and travelling. But the thing about it is that your film shows quite clearly the level of excellence that is actually attained. Yeah, that's right. It is. And, it, you know, the clubs, as you say, the the costumes alone pretty much take up the, the, the fees that the, the families are paying for classes. They're pretty much, you know, used up just to create these fantabulous costumes, which, you know, brings you to that whole thread of why, why do people do these, you know, why do people commit, you know. And I guess our, my, the film basically follows the, the family that run Regents, you know, Enid, who opened the club, her daughter Diane, who took it over and made it the number one club in Australia, and then the granddaughter Brooke, who 10 years after it closes, decides she's going to reopen Regents. And that's kind of where our, our current day story picks up. Um, but then also one of the, the, the other key protagonists is Brianna Lee, who's one of Diane's students. And, and uh, Brianna has come second three years in a row in the Graceful Girl competition. And it was only after I did my first day of interviews with um, Diane and Brooke and Enid that I heard about Brianna and I heard about the Graceful Girl competition. I've never heard of that before. And Three. the scandal. <laughs> but the scandal. It's, the it scandal was, it was made for conflict. Yes, yes. Poor Brianna has yeah. had a really, really tough ride and she wants more than anything to win this title, which is basically the, the most elite solo um, title in, in calisthenics. So you've got all the teamwork, the group work, and you've got the solos. So, you know, simultaneously whilst we follow Regent, the club, and see how, you know, they can get back in form and books, you know, struggles in running the club, particularly juggling her theatre career, which is happening simultaneously, we're also following Brianna's journey, her final attempt to try and win the Graceful Girl title. And I should say, uh, Diane, the matriarch, is her coach. So, so it's, you know, there's a real sense of a journey and a lifetime, you know, commitment to this sports, you know, art form. So we're about to go on for our first item, which of course is March. It's the it's the middle people, you know, in the diamond. You know how there's two people on the dots. It's the two middle people because sometimes I think we still like push out too far. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. then I can't be around the dot. Yeah. And then I'm <laughs> and then people yell at me. Everybody as an individual has to try really hard. You know how good you can be and how bad you can be if you don't. 
Yeah, don't leave it to everybody else is what I think I'm saying. Yeah, just make sure you're not the one, when I pause that DVD, that you're not the drip that's out of the line. Nobody be drippy today. Come on, we're ready to go. Tell me how you decided on the structure of the film. How did you actually go about it? Did you go and film them? or How did you get there? What happened? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I had the idea back in 2011 when we, when we started the classes, and I originally thought of it as a short film. And when I approached the, the coaches, Brooke and Diane, I said, could I make a little short documentary about you guys, the family, the club? I'm really interested in the backstory. And they said, okay. Um, and it was only after the first day of interviews, and I just thought, oh, wow, there's actually so much more to it. And then I learned about Brianna Lee. Um, so that year, I, I did a few interviews, and I just did a little bit of film, but I, but I really hadn't immersed myself in it. And when it came to the following year, I decided I'd shoot all the key events throughout the year because I'd then experienced it once, and, and, that, and I understood that the whole arc of building up to the final event in Ballarat. Um, so that's when I decided to film progressively. I didn't shoot. This was a unfunded project, so you know, I, I shot selectively. I wasn't there the whole time. I also had two young children, so even getting there was a bit of a, a challenge. Um, but there was enough drama and enough uh, there was enough happening in the club that even sort of with my selected days that I was shooting, I did manage to get some really good material. Um, and obviously, the film climax is in Ballarat, where Brianna um, performs her final solo to try and win the Grateful Girl title. And uh, regions, you know, the, the the seniors and the juniors, you know, also compete. Now, just just as a matter of interest, what do you reckon was the ratio between how much you shot and how much you used? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I've 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 always meant to go back and actually work out the exact durations. I would say we shot oh, maybe twenty to one. Yeah, uh, right. Which is pretty good, really. Yeah. 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 So, a lot of planning. Yeah, I mean, originally, the original original concept was it was just a year in the life of the club. And so the Brianna, the Grateful Girl story kind of uh, surfaced during the process. And it was difficult to work out how much weight to put on Brianna Lee's Grateful Girl journey versus the other characters. Oh, Diane, visiting stuff. Yeah, so it was, and also how much history do we go into, you know, like we, it's, you know, I thought it was really important that we contextualise calisthenics because most people don't know anything about us. And I personally found it very interesting when I realised it had these roots that went back to the, you know, Victorian the gold rush. Um, so there's a tiny bit of history, but I think, you know, you very much wanted to stay with the characters and get a sense of the drama that was unfolding. But it was difficult. It was getting the, the, the structure right and the, the pacing of the film, you know, that, that took, it took quite a while to get right. Are you happy with uh, the result? I'm really, really thrilled with the results. Um, I think any filmmaker would say they would probably, you know, if I could go back and do a recut, I would. <laughs> tell <laughs> us I'm about. Really happy with it. Tell us about the editing process then, because I mean, I know what you mean. I, when I do radio uh, uh, documentaries, uh, I always hear the bits that I want different. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, most of it I love, but there are little things. And, and also, I just think if, if it had been more resourced, I could have, I would have had a little bit more um, flexibility in terms of what I would have been shooting when. Um, but I kind of don't beat myself up. I, I, look, the, the most important thing is it's found an audience. You know, it, it premiered at Melbourne Film Festival, which in itself was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, that was almost enough. Um, but since 
we, we did win the um, People's Choice Award for Best Documentary. Um, and on the back of that, Cinema Nova has picked it up and it's screening three times a day at Cinema Nova currently, which is just a thrill. You know, it really is a dream come true. And, and it's, you know, getting really good audiences. Yeah, really, really good reviews. And, you know, my, my, my concern initially was, is this a film that will only appeal to the calisthenics community? No, no, not um, at all. And that's not, no, exactly. As you say, having said that, our core audience at the moment, I mean, it seems to be predominantly calisthenics. There are 10,000 registered members in the moment. And as you know from the film, so many generations of women have done this sport in the last over the last century. So there's a massive audience, predominantly in Victoria, but also in um, South Australia, Perth, you know, scattered around the other cities. So we've got a massive core audience just through the calisthenics community who thankfully love the film and just are so delighted to see their sport portrayed on the big screen, which, I, as you say, has never been done before. Um, but, yeah, there's no question I've spoken to many people who have zero connection or, you know, even necessarily a particular interest in calisthenics, and they've still got a lot out of the film and really enjoyed it. So that's really important to me that we cut through and we, can, we appeal to the mainstream um, audience also. I was very interested in the uh, delicacy with which you filmed the mother, um, say, uh, Brianna's mother, Lynn, when she was doing her makeup and uh, doing the ironing and all these terribly careful uh, processes that were involved in the building of the uh, final result. Uh, that was a very clever choice of uh, pickup shots, I thought. In what way? Well, in the sense that you use them as link linkages, but also we mm. get to see her uh, actually doing these tasks, not just what mm, she says about the tasks. Mm, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think it's such a interesting, you know, I think for me, I was just interested in people who are dedicated to their craft, you know, and their children in Lynn's case, you know. Um, a lot of these parents, are doing it for their children. A lot of them have done it themselves and they want their children to have that same experience. I mean, you know, you, stage mums get a lot of bad press, but on the flip side, there are a lot of people who've had a really wonderful experience doing things and they want their kids to have that same experience. And I really got that feeling with Lynn and her daughter, Brianna. Um, you know, the, Brianna's mother talks about the sacrifice involved, you know. You know, I mean, the amount of rehearsing they do, the, the, the costumes, you know, and the pressure for parents to get things right and create these, you know, amazing masterpieces. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of detail, as you say, in the, the sewing and the, um, you know, the makeup and the styling. It is, you know, that's where it is an art form, inverted commas, and where, you know, it's important for that small detail to be correct in order for, for people to, you know, compete at that level um, amongst their peers. Well, I just encourage everyone to get down to Cinema Nova and uh, have a look if we are going to have some screenings in regional uh, Victoria and around Australia also. Um, and to find out about these screenings, you can look at our Facebook page, which is Graceful Girls Movie, um, Facebook um, forward slash Graceful Girls Movie. And we're using an online pa platform called TUG, T-U-G-G dot com dot A-U, whereby anyone can request that the film is shown at their local cinema. And as long as there's a a medium-sized audience uh, that will pre-buy tickets, the, the film can come to you. So we're, we've, we've just, in fact, we're having our first screening in Queensland today in Brisbane um, and I've got a, we sold out our first Adelaide screening. So there are lots of screenings that are going to be happening every day in Melbourne at the moment, but if you are outside Melbourne, uh, jump on our 
Facebook page and you'll find out how you can see the film. And that was Olivia Peniston Bird with talking about her film Graceful Girls, which uh, won the audience choice at MIF this year. Yeah, it's doing very well. And uh, it, this is Annie signing off. Uh, coming up next is uh, Published or Not. And we're going to go out with Permission to Shine by Bachelor Girl. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.